Why is being a manager so different from being an individual contributor? Well, not only do you have more and different responsibilities, it also requires a different mindset and behaviors. So have you shifted into the managerial mindset? A warm welcome to Annie LC to the Modern Manager community. Today's guest is Ramona Shaw. Ramona is a certified professional leadership coach, podcast host, and best-selling author of The Confident and Competent New Manager, How to Rapidly Rise to Success in Your First Leadership Role. She is passionate about helping new and mid-level managers become leaders people love to work for by strengthening their leadership and communication skills, raising their confidence and resilience, and increasing their focus and emotional intelligence. She now specializes in delivering coaching and training programs for leaders at fast-growing startups and companies such as Twitch, UBS, Google, Dropbox, Lionsgate, Asana, and many, many more. Ramona and I talk about the mental shifts you have to make when moving from an individual contributor role to a manager role. Now, whether you've been managing people for years or just started your first team leadership position yesterday, these mental shifts are ones that we could all use a refresher on. Now, here's the conversation. Are you a manager, boss, or team leader who aspires to level up and unleash your team's full potential? You're listening to the Modern Manager Podcast, and I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Each week, I explore effective strategies and provide actionable insights that supercharge your management abilities, optimize team performance, and foster a healthy workplace culture. Become a rockstar manager and help your team thrive at themodernmanager.com slash more. Thank you so much for joining me today, Ramona. I'm super excited to talk with you about this transition that managers make when they go from being an individual contributor into their very first manager role, because it is a very hard transition for a lot of people. And your book has helped, I think it's helping people get a better understanding of what this new job is. It's not just do your old job and be a manager. It's actually a totally new thing that is called management. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Mamie. It's great to be here. All right. Let's just start with the high level of what are some of the shifts that managers need to make as they are thinking about this job they have called being a manager that is different from how they would think about their job as a member of a team, as an individual contributor. Can you just lay out the kind of high level for us to get started? Yeah, absolutely. And just to a second what you said here a moment ago, this is such a big transition. And I think on a spectrum, there are two sides of this. There are people who move into a leadership role thinking, and by the way, I used to be that <laughs> person thinking, you know what, I've done a pretty good job so far. This is not going to be that much different. I'll be fine. And I have a great team. I get along with them. Let's do it. I don't need any additional training. I, I'm not particularly worried about this. Then there's another side of this, another group of people who get really self-conscious in the process and they recognize, hold on a second, me leading people, me being responsible for them, uh, and me having answers for them, me being responsible for their career progression, that seems really scary. And I, I have doubts whether I bit off more than I can chew. I don't know what I'm doing. I need some training or I need some help. Now, both of those uh, parts or aspects here, there are benefits to it, right? As you can see, someone is really confident, doesn't make think it's a big deal. They step into this fairly easily and they should likely show up more confident, but they tune out and often are not aware of all these shifts we're going to talk about here in a moment that people need to go through and they will need to go through in order to be successful in that new role. 
Now, on the other side, people are more self-conscious about the process. They may doubt themselves and expend some energy and some mental capacity on the doubts and their worries and how they may come across. But the benefit is that usually the people who buy books, like soak up all the information <laughs> and it really helps them set themselves up for success. So my real message here and the reason why I do this work and publish as much as I can and make that available as broadly as I can is to highlight that importance of this transition. Even the confident people should not take this too lightly. And the people with the doubts should know there is a way, right? And it's not that they're not cut out to be a leader or they need to be worried about it. Just invest in the training, be open-minded, solicit feedback, and you will figure this out. Whether you like it down the road or not, that's a different conversation. But can you learn it? Yes, you can. Speaking about the transition high level, the first one and the most obvious one is it's no longer about yourself, right? It is now about your team. It's easy to say and intellectually understand. It's a very different thing to actually show up that way. Because it does mean that you likely help everyone else on the team all day. And then it's four o'clock and you look at your own to-do list. You feel like, great, I spent all day helping everyone else get through their to-do list, but mine is actually bigger than it was in the morning and I haven't done a thing on it so far. Recognizing, oh, this is the transition and maybe this is the way it's supposed to be and maybe I need to rethink of what I put on my to-do list. Those are all little side effects that go along with this. Uh, it also means to move away from being the go-to person who does a lot of things. That's another shift, right? Being used to often the people who get promoted are those people that are entrusted, the people that are high-performing or very knowledgeable in a particular field. Not only does everyone else around them, you know, move towards them and they, yeah. they're like little magnets, that everyone comes their way to solve a problem. And as an individual, it also feels good when we can help other people. When we feel we get that sense of reward and accomplishment, oh, I helped that person, I was able to solve that, and someone else asked me for my opinion here, it feels good. But now in a leadership role, it's no longer about doing all those things. It's now about, hey, speak to my team member here. You know what? I'm going to ha have this other person work on that. It's not going to be me. That also is that internal tension that can come up of no longer being the one who does it all and for people to learn that they shouldn't be coming to you for all things. So that's the second one. Um, a third one is to, and I speak about four here. So the third one out of the four is to refrain from advising. So if we, if a new manager particularly thinks that whether true or not, um, that they are the, that have the highest level of expertise and they have all the answers. Some people actually think they have all the answers. Again, true or not. Some people believe they should have all the answers and they may not. On both ends or both sides here, that's just a wrong approach to even look at your role as a manager. It's a lot more about coaching and supporting and helping your team develop the skills that they need in order to execute, not, not to depend on you as a leader. And every time I see some resistance from anyone I coach or work with and they kind of resist and they still hold on to that expertise level and wanting to be the one who advises and answers all the questions, down the road, this lead will lead to a time management issue. Either way, they find themselves in a lot of meetings. So... <laughs> So the intersection of, of our work, right? Because they're constantly in those conversations where they get pulled in because no one else either dares to or feels confident and competent enough to own their their part and um, execute their, that work independently. 
that's the third is to stop advising, move into more of a coaching approach. And then the fourth of them all is more of that strategic level. As an individual contributor, we can look upwards in that sense, uh, organizationally speaking, and say, what are the goals and what are the strategies of the organization? What does my boss want? What are the projects laid out in front of me? But as a leader, hence the word leader, you have to develop that kind of strategic thinking yourself and be the one who's initiating new ideas, who's thinking about things more creatively, who's setting targets, who's identifying the expectations and the structure of the team and laying that all out and then advocating upwards and sideways in order to make that happen. So no longer depending on your manager to provide all that to you, really step into that leadership role to push that upwards and have that uh, sense of influence across the organization or your your specific department. Those are the four main shifts that I had to identify that 100%, maybe 99%, let's leave, leave some room there. But the most, the vast majority of new managers all have to go through. And there's always one or, or two that feel a little harder and are, we have a little blinders on where we not see what's really happening that holds people back in their ability to successfully, competently, and confidently lead their teams. I see very similar things in the people that I work with that, right, we are so good at our jobs, usually as an individual contributor, which is why we got promoted. And it's so hard to hold back that expertise and to foster the capability of your team members, even though you know, I could just tell you what to do. It'd be so much faster and easy. Or if they, you're just like, I could just do this work myself, right? Instead of delegating it because you've done the work before, you know what it takes to get it done and you can just do it. And that those little shifts are so hard. And to your point earlier about your to-do list, right? If we're in a lot of meetings, then it's really hard to get to your own to-do list. Can you talk a little bit about the, the productivity mindset and you talk about in your book kind of a shift around what makes for a productive day. And I felt like that was such an insightful way to reframe what a manager does. So could you share a little bit of how, how do you measure the productivity of a manager's day in a way that's different than how you might measure a traditional employee's productivity? When we're looking at the way we start early on in our careers, in most cases, uh, traditional knowledge workers, we will look at how much can I accomplish in a in a day? How many things, problems can I get resolved or tickets or how far do I get with these reports or this project? How many problems do I solve? Those are all sort of the, the tasks of the action items. And it they all start or include the word I. As a manager, if we continue to have that framework of this is what a productive day looks like, we will always feel like we're not measuring up, always feel like if we're not actually doing things, the team will also judge us that we're not a good manager, that we're lazy, that we're not doing anything, that we're not contributing. And most of us don't want to be seen that way. We all want to feel like, no, I pull up my sleeves, I'm in there, I'm supportive, I'm the servant leader who's, you know, working and alongside and to get my hands dirty on things. And that's how we want to be perceived. But it creates that constant friction, constant friction. It's not what the reality looks like. In reality, what the team really needs from me is to move the barriers out of the way, to establish clarity, to paint the picture of where we're going, 
to communicate, create alignment, and then to ensure that you're developing your team and to be there as they're problem solving or they need your input or your decision on things, but really on a very different level than that task mindset of I need to execute tasks. So if we keep hanging on to that mindset of that is what a productive day looks like, we will overdo it, overcome it, feel, never feel good enough, worry that other people don't see us as that hands-on manager and feel like we're not really doing anything and likely we'll work too much and work way into the night because that feels like when I actually have productive time and then I go go to sleep and feel productive. And that doesn't work either. <laughs> no, and that is where it's not sustainable. It's not what we're promoting. So when we shift that mindset and we look at, no, actually, I am here to support the team. And what I get measured on is what can my team accomplish together as an entity? And that is what I consider how productive are we. I measure my productivity on what we have accomplished and where we're going and how clear we are and where we're going. That then changes the dynamic. And now with that in mind, my prioritization every day, my to-do lists and the sense of accomplishment that I get at the end, you know, when I close my laptop or walk out the office is very different. Yeah. It's incredibly powerful when you see your job being measured on the quality and the quantity appropriately of the work that your team does, right? The results your team is getting, it totally shifts how you think about your own priorities in the day, right? Like, should I make time for a one-on-one or should I work on this presentation? Should I offer support to a colleague who seems to be struggling, who's messaging me on Slack, but I'm like deep in something else and should I stop and help them or should I just tell them to hold on while I do my own thing, right? It completely changes when you see your productivity not measured on your own to-do list, but actually on the the team. And I think, you know, one of those things that gets hard then is that you can't have a long to-do list because if you have a long to-do list, you kind of by default end up having to do the things. Otherwise, the team isn't going to get its work done either in a, in a way, right? Like you're kind of double negative if you're trying to get your own work done and you don't have time for your team. Can you talk about delegating and how managers can start to make that shift? Because this is another place where it's very scary for managers. There's so much fear around delegation and accountability. And it's just like, it feels like a minefield for folks for a myriad of reasons. So can you talk a little bit about how how you think about delegation and, and some of the challenges there and kind of some of the approaches that you've seen work well? Yeah, so I see delegation go south, uh, not working well, mainly for two reasons. One is fear of not looking good, which by the way, is a human thing. We all, we all worry about <laughs> our reputation and uh, you know how we are being perceived by others. And when we delegate work, and, and I think I do the best work in this, I would say you know 100% success would be what I do. Now I'm delegating this and the other person can maybe do 70% of what I would do. Now I'm worried that it won't look good and I will intervene or, you know, take the 70%, but then turn it into the 100% by me just changing things up and making it better. And then I will submit it or I will present it. And that sense of like, I cannot live with the 70%. I can also not live things going sideways or, you know, client conversations are going well or every porch is not looking good or code having bugs and the failures, the mistakes, 
if you can't tolerate that because you're so worried about, or we are so worried about the reputation or perception other people have on us, that is a huge impediment of delegating effectively. Because we're always, and, and by the way, also a reason for micromanagers to intervene themselves and to check themselves in all kinds of different ways that just feel so depleting uh, to the employee. Say so, they're deprived of that sense of ownership. So the manager will always interject and tell them what to do or will fix it and edit their emails or, you know, redline things. As such, in the work of leadership and leadership growth, it's really that comfort with or building, building that tolerance to accept things not going the way you want it, things not looking as good as you wanted them, mistakes to happen, and you still presenting it as your team's work and having that employee's back. Right? Yes, between you and the leader and employee, you can have a transparent conversation of like, hey, that didn't go well. What did you learn? Or how can we prevent this in the future? But to the outside world, you got to have their backs. And you have to own it. That can be very tricky and difficult to do. So developing that, com- and it's not even comfort, but that tolerance is really important. And of course, it comes with, and we're not living in La La Land, right? We, we've all seen this and experienced ourselves, and I see this day in and day out of what that actually looks like and that not everything can be delegated or not everything can be just passed on without the boss looking at it and saying, like, it's not meeting our expectations. We got to do some more more work on this, or I'm going to help you bring this across the finish line because it's urgent. So it's very situational, but there needs to be a discernment on what is the risk of this task and what is the growth opportunity for this not going well. And then my employee really learning and understanding why it didn't go well. That is a huge opportunity, a huge benefit. So what are the opportunity costs here at play? The cost benefit analysis, including assessing the risk to then decide which approach to take. I'm wondering if you have any stories, either from your own experience or from your clients, who have made that kind of shift from holding on tightly to kind of being tolerant of things not always going as planned. So they've kind of made that mental shift from I need to do everything to I can empower my team and I can support my team to do those things. A lot. Um, Uh, I'll actually, I'll share a, a personal story. I had one situation where we were constantly running up against the timeline and I would always sort of feel like I needed to chime in and also help, you know, help get it all done on that certain date. And uh, it felt frustrating at some point. And I, I don't recall if that was a deliberate decision or not, but it was a huge lesson for me because what happened was we missed the deadline as a team. And someone very senior in the organization came back the next day and walked up to the employee who was responsible for this piece of work that was delayed and said to them, in my entire time here working with Ramona's team, no one has ever been late. And with me receiving this document late, that means now I have to work late tonight. And I really do not appreciate it. So whatever happens, Please don't do this again. I need it by the deadline. And that interaction between the senior executive and my employee really shook them. That was the moment where they realized me not getting it done on time has real consequences. And they felt that implication. And from then on out, I never had to intervene ever again. Everything was done way in advance. That's amazing. (laughs) And I thought about this, like, 
yeah, what, what, what happened here? I always protected everyone. So I would swoop in, but I never really developed that sense of accountability because I would swoop in and try to help out. And sometimes it is that saying like, hey, I, you know, obviously went back and I, I took the blame for it. I couldn't control that executive walking up to my team member, but to the outside world, I said, like, no, we as a team, I, I made the mistake of, you know, not properly watching this. I take the blame for missing the deadline, but they felt it. Right. And so recognizing in a moment, like sometimes it doesn't have to, it, it is letting it, letting it go, being okay with something not working out to then recognize that that was a huge learning opportunity. I have other people who go on vacation, just recently had a client who went on a two-week vacation, delegated everything, was not there at all. And guess what? The team did it perfectly. My client came back from his vacation and was like, I don't even know why I always helped. They seem fully capable, but I didn't really realize. But they were fully capable because he was out of network. He was not on Slack. He was not checking his emails and everyone knew they just had to step it up. Um, so when then they did, they proved to their manager, hey, we got this. And the manager came back. It's like, okay, I had to learn it the hard way. I wasn't able to really see their potential and let go enough before going on vacation. So actually vacations are a great opportunity to practice delegating and not jumping back in and seeing how far your team can go without you. Yes. So, 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 so true. I want to shift back to some of the other mindsets around advising and coaching and because this is one I personally struggle with a lot because I I kind of know how I want something to be done or I kind of know what, what I think makes the most sense. And so I want to just tell people, do it like this, right? Which is related to, to delegating too, right? It's just, here's what you should do. Just go do this. That'll make it for a really productive conversation with the client or that will make sure that the information is correct or whatever it might be. Can you talk a little bit about some of the skills related to coaching and and taking a more coaching approach and how you can kind of set that up with your team if you've been someone who tends to be a more directive leader and you don't, I mean, one of the things I always worry about when I tell my own clients, like, have you thought about taking in a more coaching? Like a lot of them respond with like, but what if my team doesn't know what to do without me, right? Like, and so there's again, fears coming back up. So can you talk a little bit about kind of what does a coaching approach really look like and how can we kind of introduce that in a way that our colleagues, we're not like throwing them out now into the deep end and being like, okay, team member, I know before you came to me and I'd give you the answer, but now I'm going to go make you figure it out on your own and uh, good luck. So how do we make that transition really smooth? Right. Or what what people also worry about is that it just turns into a lengthy conversation where you ask a number of questions and everyone knows you could just say the answer. Why are we making this up? Yes. So right. Just say it one sentence. We're done with this. Why are we having a 30-minute you know, interview here? And that doesn't feel good for anyone involved. So I generally recommend to just start with a simple question. Insert the question before you give your answer. Because we've all been on the receiving end of someone telling us what to do. And as I stay, start launching into this conversation or this direction or advice, in our minds, we're either saying, yeah, I already knew that, or no, that doesn't apply here because you don't get the situation the way that, or you don't see what I see, or you don't, uh, you know, that you have missing information. We've all been there and it just takes so much power out of the conversation when someone gives us advice that we feel like it's not going to work 
here or some advice, or I already knew that. So I, inserting a question simply means instead of just giving the advice, ask a question first to understand what have they already done? What do they already see? What's actually the biggest component, the biggest challenge here? What are they expecting of you? So you understand their perspective and where they're at in terms of knowledge or you know, the, the state of the problem first before you answer. Most of our brains, by the way, from like school age on, we're trained that when someone asks a question, we immediately start to think about the answer. So the moment that that question is ended, we're immediately launching into the response. A coaching approach, and especially just to practice this and going into it and, and for you to get more comfortable with it, but also your team to not feel like they're thrown into the deep water, just ask a few questions. Hey, if I wasn't here, what would you do? What are the options on the table? Like, you talk it out first. What's the biggest challenge here? What is something that beyond all this that you think is relevant, but you haven't shared so far? Any question, anything that gets them talking more than what they initially asked. And that simple practice will naturally, and I've seen this so many times over and over, it will naturally launch into a more fruitful, insightful conversation. And the employee will start to feel like you actually care. You're not just responding because you want to be the advice giver. You actually care for them to do some of their own thinking. And you believe that they have insights, that they have skills, and they're capable to do more than what they presented or to, to go a little bit further than where they're right now on their own. Or that you even care what they think. They're not just executing your, your directions or directives. Yes, I love that. And I would just add one more thing, which I personally have found to be really helpful in addition to trying to ask those kinds of questions and get people to find their own answers. When I just, I mean, they're not frustrated, but I'm finding that maybe they're not quite getting to the place that I'm really hoping they're going to get to, or I really can't help myself because I just need to like tell them what I think. I always try to frame it as, have you thought about and then I tell them what they should be thinking about. And it's a nice way to not accuse them, to your point of like telling them something they've already been thinking about, but to open up a like, have you thought about this? And when they say like, yes, I'm like, great, you know, tell me more. Why did you, why are you dismissive of that idea? Or what do you think about that won't, will work or won't work or whatever? Um, and sometimes they say, no, I haven't. Thank you. Right? Or like, or no, I haven't. Like, let's talk about that. And so it's a, a gentler way to give advice without it feeling like you're being the advice giver. So for those of you who are like me, who are listening and are like, I just can't help myself. I have to give the advice. There is still ways to do that that are more in the coaching genre than being a kind of directive, go do this thing. Yeah, it's a lead, it's a lead in where you at least open up a little bit of a conversation versus just being directive. And if you're thinking about a ask a different team, you have something clear in your mind, maybe instead of just saying that out loud, ask questions such as who could you ask? Or what are the risks? Or what are you really concerned by? Or have, when have you done this in the past? Or who have you seen do this in the past? Again, the more open you can leave it, the more you're encouraging them to think freely and more broadly. And it always, it doesn't take longer, right? And it always pays off in the long term because you're preventing this kind of dependency where everyone's going to come your way because you've trained them to come your way. And like, I, I get these constant quick questions 
and no one's going to do anything here without my involvement. I have to tell them what to do. Yeah, you co-created that situation. Um, and often happens. Also, not every team member is at the same level. You have a new joiner. You probably have to be fairly directive with them because they just have, don't have the context. And it feels weird if you ask someone in their first week, well, why don't you tell me how to go about this? They're like, I don't, I, this is a way to learn. I have no context. But someone who's already really experienced the coaching approach be the main approach should probably take 80% of the conversation is around like think, like helping them think through things more creatively because you have their expert leaders at a higher level than you are, which is, happens often when we're leading a team and we have people on the team that know way better what they need to do than I ever know because I've never been in that job or I, I don't have the skills that they do. Yep. So in true. that situation, right. it is the coaching approach that works. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, sadly, we have to start to wrap up. So Ramona, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fabulous boss? Uh, I had the pleasure to work with a number of great managers. Um, I think the one that I still hold dearest is a, a friend of mine that I used to work with. And the reason why I highlighted that she's a friend of mine because we were able to strike that balance and actually just recently chatted about this, strike that balance of moving from a very clear manager direct report relationship with that sometimes tension, sometimes disagreements, but always the clearly in respecting the authority quickly into like now we're friends and we can leave all that aside and we can be friends. And I felt that sense of trust, that belief in me and that confidence in me and also the way that she advocated on my behalf, that to me was so, um, was just so inspiring. And I always admire her for this. Thank God we're friends to this day. That kind of friendship component was able to last over a long term, um, over a long time. And if I wanted another manager again, I'd probably want to work for her again. Oh, so beautiful. I love when those work relationships can become lifelong friendships. And where can people learn more about you? Tell us about your book, where we can get a copy of your book, all that jazz. So RamonaShaw.com is probably the, the best place to go. There's a link to the book, uh, which is also sold on Amazon. There's a link to the podcast, a podcast called The Manager Track with a weekly episodes and tips and, and tactics. All the coaching services on there. We have a leadership accelerator program, which is our flagship new manager training that we run every month. Um, so that would be the first, the first few places I would check out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Really enjoyed this conversation. And I definitely have my own work to do on uh, elevating. Even though I'm not a new manager, I still feel like I have my own work to do on elevating my managerial mindset and making the shift. So thank you again. Thank you for having me, Mary. Ramona is providing members of Podcast Plus her amazing guide, Your First 30 Days as a New Manager, for free. Your first 30 days offer a great opportunity to make a positive impression and begin building credibility with your new team members. This resource includes four practical tools to have a successful start with your team and your stakeholders alike. Also in the extended interview, Ramona shares the second factor that is essential to effective delegation, as well as her APS model to help make these mental shifts translate from ideas to action. To get this guest bonus and many more and the extended interview, become a member at themodernmanager.com slash more. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.